0: A, a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for this morning and already, God, I just I just feel your presence and my heart, God, is surrendered to you and thank you that you're the way maker, God. And that's who you are and you are, want to, you desire to work miracles in our life, Lord. And when we can't see things happen, God, you make it happen. But, Lord, we just want to be able to commit ourselves to you and not change because of circumstances, but stick to what you want us to do and have been calling us to do. So, Lord, speak to us today through your word, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago in Quincy, Massachusetts, is that how you say it, Massachusetts? Anyway, that state, right? A donut shop opened up a new location, but they planned not to sell donuts. Kind of funny, right? Honeydew Donuts, that was the company name, they opened up shop inside a brand new $30 million YMCA facility there. And because of YMCA's focus on physical fitness, the this vendor is not going to sell. Donuts. They're still going to sell coffee, but instead of the donuts, they will offer like low fat muffins, salads, sandwiches, yogurt, fruit cups, and smoothies. And then in this article, it said a spokesperson for the YMCA said that all menu items for this shop had to be approved by the YMCA leadership. I thought that was a funny article. I thought that was kind of interesting news. Now, I'm all into eating healthy, but a donut shop that agrees to not sell donuts, I mean, that's different. It seems the compromise was because they really wanted to be a part of that new YMCA facility there, so they gave it up, right? But, you know, sometimes we Christians, we don't live up to our names either. True? Well, as we return to our study in the book of Daniel, we find how Daniel and his friends could have compromised in eating Babylonian food. But they politely refused and chose to who they, they were, these Hebrews, which actually opened up this opportunity for the Lord to work a miracle. And it all happened because they chose to live the uncompromising life. And that's the title of our message. That's what we're going to see here. An example of the uncompromising compromising life. We're going to be studying Daniel chapter 1 from verse 3 to 21. We're going to finish out the whole chapter here. We have a lot of verses to cover. We, we, We got a little start last week on verses 1 and 2, and now we're going to continue on from verse 3 and finish the chapter. Now, this chapter is broken up into three sections, and this is my outline. Number one, Nebuchadnezzar's plan. Number two, Daniel's stand. And number three, God's hand. So you get, there's a little rhyme there going on. Plan, stand in hand. And so Nebuchadnezzar's plan, Daniel, stand in God's hand. So the uncompromising life, our title. Let's get into number one in our heading, Nebuchadnezzar's plan, or I like to say Nebi's plan, okay? King Nebi's plan here. Take a look with me here now. Daniel chapter 1 Beginning at verse three, it reads: Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. Verse four: youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Verse five the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Now we'll stop right there. We begin with these three words in verse 3, then the king. So this connects to what we saw last time. This continues how King Nebuchadnezzar took back the Uh, uh, well, took back to Babylon after his army gained control of Judah, the southern kingdom. If you remember last time we saw in the first two verses, the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, they fell in, the Jews fell into the hands of the Babylonian army. So King Nebuchadnezzar grabbed the Jewish king, Jehoiakim, an object, articles, things from the Jewish temple to bring back to Babylon as spoils. Which King Nebuchadnezzar, also in 605 BC, took many of the Jews into captivity also. And this is what we're reading here, then the king. He then told the head of his servants, he goes on here, Ashpenaz, to pick from the Jewish captives uh, who were from the royal family of Judah, who were also nobility like the Ali'i of the Jews there at that time. And so he grabbed now not just anyone, but these, these from the royal family, but they were youth. And you know what that's saying? They were teenagers, actually. Uh, many believe that these guys are anywhere from maybe 15 to 17 years old when he grabbed them. And they, they were those picked out who were without blemish, like, th- like they were perfect, no physical defect. They're good looking. They already possessed some wisdom and knowledge, you know, they're pretty smart, and they were into learning. In other words, they were easy to teach. And then these 15, 17 year olds were actually potentially, they are being picked to stand before the king, which meant they were going to be groomed to serve the king of Babylon. And that's why it says here in verse 4 at the end, to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The word Chaldeans is an old name for the Babylonians. So all of this was to teach them about Babylon and their literature and their language and all that. It was to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. And along with that now we see here the king in verse 5 gave them a daily portion of the king's food. So they grabbed these guys and you know what? They, They ate like king's. They ate the food of kings. They were treated very well. And it was also they could be trained to become loyal to King Nebuchadnezzar and be able to stand before him, serve him to serve his wishes. So the food, the drink, everything, all this was designed so that they would train them up to serve the king. Ashpenaz was to find these young Jews, basically, who were the cream of the crop, right, top of the class, to put them through really what this was, a standard Babylonian retraining program. This was Nebuchadnezzar's plan. This was what he did constantly. When he went and took over countries, he would take the young and the brightest and the best there. And he would, he would uh, take them from that conquered nation, and he would train them to serve and to be loyal to Babylon. And what really what happened, we'll see, is that they became advisors to the king, and they were like, "Hey, helping the enemy king how to handle their own conquered people." They bas- basically Nebuchadnezzar's plan was like to brainwash them. Years ago, I remember someone telling me how on the first day of class in college, there. Their, their, their son heard the professor tell everyone on the first day of class, forget everything your parents told you. And it's like, whoa, you know, whoa. But think about that. These young guys coming in, he takes them, and he's starting to train them in the Babylonian way. Now look at verse 6. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belt Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So among these youth that were picked, they were these four guys. And first of all, as Daniel, verse 6 tells us, and he's the writer, he's the author of the book we're studying here. And he had his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they're all from the, 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 the tribe, same as King David, of Judah. Then the head servant, he went ahead and changed their name. He gave them new names. Now, these names were Babylonian names. So he took their Hebrew names and changed it over to Babylonian names. Daniel, actually in the Hebrew, means God is my judge. And his name was changed to uh, Belteshazzar, means Bel protects, and remember the, the, the main god of the Babylonians was Bel. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. His name was changed to Shadrach, which means illuminated by Ra, which was the sun god. That's uh, their, the, the one of their gods there. Mishael means who is God, was changed to Meshach, which means who is like Aku. Which is the god of the fish. No, it was it was it was it was God of Venus back then. Azariah, the Lord is my help, that's what his name means, his Hebrew name. It was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nagel, and he was actually this vegetation god that they worship. So you, so you see what's going on. I mean, it's, it's sad. He takes these youth and, and these four guys were, we're focusing on here. The names of the true God, which their names meant, was replaced by the names of the false gods of Babylon. So what are we seeing here is that this last step in Nebuchadnezzar's plan was really to change their name, to change their identity. No more being Hebrews. Now it's all about being Babylonians. I want you to see something that Nebuchadnezzar's plan. This is his strategy. This is what he's doing. And there's four steps to the indoctrination plan that he has here. Four steps. First of all, we saw was to relocate them, right? He brought the captives to Babylon. Didn't leave them in Jerusalem, but brought the guys. He took, and then he took These young men out of that. So he took the young men out of Israel to Babylon. Then it was to re-educate them. The young men went to be trained and schooled to learn the Babylonian language, the Babylonian curriculum, their, their, all, everything about their culture and society there. And then the third step was to recondition them, right? So they relocated them, they reeducated them, and then it was to recondition them, it, to give them Babylonian food so that their taste for Babylon food would, would grow and they would, oh yeah, I like this stuff. And then this last thing we just saw was to rename them. The young men was to change their identity into becoming Babylonians. So this is the four steps of Nebuchadnezzar's plan, Nebi's plan, to indoctrinate them, relocate, re-educate, recondition, and rename them. This was the whole strategy of King Nebuchadnezzar. And we come to this point. King Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was to conform these young men into becoming Babylonians. That's what we're seeing here in this first section. King Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was to conform these young men into becoming Babylonians. You know, I was, I was thinking back how um, I think I was around 28 years old, and I borrowed some money from my parents, and I, I bought this pool service, pool cleaning business. And, and the guy who sold it to me was actually going to Papua New Guinea he, as a missionary. So he was, he, was, he, was, he was having a life change going over to you know, a foreign country being a missionary. So I, I was able to meet him and I ended up buying His business. So I I obtain all his counts, and every day I wake up early, jump in my truck, and go from house to house taking care and servicing swimming pools. I remember after a few months or so, I remember at one point realizing hey, I'm just like my dad. I mean, growing up, he would wake up early in the morning, jump in his truck, go house to house, and taking care of yards is what he did. He was a gardener. You know, I had different accounts. And I, I remember I smiled and told my wife, Kristen, look, I'm becoming like my dad. Now, it wasn't a bad thing. And, and actually, after that, I um, I went into full-time ministry. But here, we see the king of Babylon giving these young, impress- impressionable guys Babylonian things, so they would be conformed into becoming Babylonians. They were grooming them. They were training them. And, and, and I started to think, too, what are we becoming right now? Examine yourself. Assess yourself. What are you becoming? Are you becoming like your Heavenly Father? Are, or are you becoming... More like the world. Are you being conformed into becoming like a worldly person? Now in the Bible, it says in Romans twelve two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God wants us believers to not be conformed to this world. This is Satan's plan, his strategy. What are you being conformed to? What are you becoming like? Right now, more like your heavenly father or more like people in the world. Watch out, you guys. Satan has a similar strategy as King Nebuchadnezzar here he, as he tries to conform you to the world. You know how he does that? Same way, by number one, relocation. Yeah? He'll stop you from being involved in your home church. He'll stop you from, from being part of the fellowship. He'll try and keep you away from fellowship and, so you can be influenced away. From others, he's gonna, he's uh, he, Satan uses that same strategy with relocation. Then there's re-education, right? He he tries to get into your mind and have your mind be occupied by worldly things and worldly philosophies and perspectives of the world. And maybe maybe he'll leak through like social media. He'll start leaking through thoughts through other ways and maybe other world, worldly people around you. And he'll flood you with this false thinking trying to re-educate you from the truth in the Word. And then the third thing, just like Nebuchadnezzar, Satan will begin to recondition you. You know how? Feeding you with things of the world so your taste changes. Yeah? You want these material things now. You're, 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 you're hungry for things that are not of the Lord and he's beginning to change your taste and you want more of the fleshly things. And then lastly, just like Nebuchadnezzar, he renames you and you know how he does that he he whispers in your oh you don't want to be known as a christian oh no that that's so shameful that's that's embarrassing you know oh no be undercover if you really want to do but don't you know don't be don't be called or looked at as a christian so he tries to change your name and your identity how about you today is that you If you are, you are playing into the enemy's strategy to conform you. Recognize the strategy. Recognize the plan. And it's just like Nebuchadnezzar's plan. Well, let's go on here now to Daniel's stand. Number two in our outline, Daniel's stand. In this uncompromising life, we're going to see, first of all, Nebuchadnezzar's plan unfolds. But then we come to Daniel's stand here in verse 8. Daniel chapter 1, look at the first part of verse 8. It reads, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And we're going to stop right there for now. Daniel was resolved, we read here. Uh, Resolved here, the word literally means to set the heart. He made a determined decision, a determined choice that no one and nothing is going to change his heart. Nothing's going to change his direction. No matter what life brings, no matter what's going on right now, nothing is going to change his direction for the Lord. So Daniel was resolved in that way. And he resolved, it says, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine. Now, why is that? Why the food? Why the wine? Well, well the king's food was filled with with things. It was offered, but it had things that the Jews were told not to eat in the Old Testament law. They weren't supposed to eat that. This is what a a devoted Hebrew would not eat. So you can imagine they were all, you know, filled with stuff that, wow, it wouldn't be right or kosher for him, right? And on top of that, it was prepared by Gentiles. And then the wine basically was not like what the Jews drink. Usually the Jews would water down the wine, maybe six to one, you know, six parts water to one part wine or even 10 to one. But you can imagine Babylon, oh, they drink, yeah? They, they, they had the concentrated stuff. So it was strong stuff and easy to get drunk. But Daniel, he did not want to partake in that food. He did not want to defile himself in that way. So Daniel resolved here to not defile himself. Listen, we see here Daniel knew where to draw that line. He makes his stand here. This is Daniel's stand that's our heading here. See, this is where this young Jewish teenager and his friends, this is where they said, I got to draw the line here. I got to draw it right here. I mean, the Babylonians, hey, they could relocate him, but Jerusalem, right? His homeland would always be his home, and no matter how far away he would be. They could re-educate him, but Daniel already had a foundation in his life of what he believed and what he knew to be true. They could rename him, but that will never change who he is. But when it came to the king's food and drink, that was where Daniel drew the line. You know why? He will not compromise and go against God's word. So... This is the point here. Daniel set his heart not to compromise the word of God. Daniel set his heart to not compromise the word of God. I believe this is the, the main area our, the enemy targets. It's the biggest area of how, even how the enemy gets his foot in the door. When we start to compromise what the Word of God says, that's when the slide begins. That's when our heart starts to wander. That's when sin starts to get in, when we decide, oh, I know God said that, but hey, it's okay. On my, uh, the other day, I, I was going through, um, on my Apple TV, there's a screensaver saver and there's aerial shots of different places in the world, like London, Hong Kong, um, uh, 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 Arabia, or uh, what is that? The United Arab, Arab you know, kind of thing. Uh, I forgot what's that town called? But anyway, there was a, also a shot of the Great Wall of China. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And years ago on a mission trip, I'd been there. I walked on the wall. So I was thinking about all that and everything. And, uh, and then I started thinking about this. You know, the Great Wall of China is the longest man-made project on Earth being 13,170 miles long. Amazing. It's amazing feat that they did. They say it was built so high, no one could get over it. They say it was built so thick that no one could run through it or tunnel through it. But in the first 100 years of being built, China was invaded three times. How can that be? How did that happen? You know how? The enemy came straight through the gate how they bribe the guard that's how you know some say everyone has a price yeah what's your price think of now these young men daniel i mean think again they're not older like you know middle age or anything like that they're in their teens right now they've been relocated yeah they're offered some food they never have them Boy, it smells good. Boy, it looks good, yeah? They're away from their parents. No supervision, yeah? And on top of that, they were at this age, and I was thinking, you know, I remember being a teenager, and I at that age, it's like, hey, I want to do my own thing. I want to get out of away from my parents' authority and what we do. I want to just do my own thing. And I remember being a, a teenager, too. I was attracted to the new stuff, right? I oh what my parents did, the music they listened to, oh, all that, that was old fogey stuff, or you know, I don't know what the word is today, right? Uh, ah no, I want that new stuff. So can you imagine these teenagers, somewhere 15, 17 years old now, they're being exposed to things they've never seen before. They've been chosen, oh, how how would that make you feel? Yeah. They they're they're giving whole uh the king's food, yeah. They're being trained, you know, part of the whole palace and part of the whole king stuff, yeah? And they've been given a lot of things and training and food and here, a new name, a new life. Wow, everything's, oh, look at Babel. Wow, they get cars here? Wow, we didn't have that, you know? Wow, they get phones and we didn't have that back in Jerusalem, you know? Well, you know, all the new and latest. Imagine. Daniel and his friends being offered all this, yet Daniel and his friends chose to live and keep the uncompromising life. You see, Daniel set his heart not to compromise the word of God. Have you allowed yourself to compromise? Have you been tempted or drawn away to go against what you know, what the word of God has told you? To go against the way you've been living all this time. The, 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 the vision you had, the mission you've been given to go against the path that God is giving you. I mean, think of these Hebrew guys. They grew up yeah, in the Hebrew culture and society un, under the whole, uh, under God, right? Going to the temple, worshiping God, learning and following His word. How about you? Perhaps something has happened. I was thinking about this. Sometimes things happen. You're in a situation that has a situation that happened and put you in a situation. And sometimes we're tempted to retaliate thinking that, well, your, your moral failure will hurt that other person. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get him. So I'm just going to go against, or maybe you're upset at God even because of whatever happened or People you look to or or, or 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 why God, why are you doing this? And you get all upset at God and you stop trying. And so you give in to compromise. Think of Daniel in his situation right now, being in captivity, you guys. He could have been mad at God. He could have been saying, Lord, how could you do this to our country? Aren't you God over Israel? How can you allow this to happen? And as we learned last week, no, he trusted in God's sovereignty as we saw last week, right? He could have, these teenagers could easily have said, you know what, this doesn't work. And they could have easily abandoned God. But Daniel resolved to not compromise and not compromise the word that he had been taught. Well, let's go on here in verse 8. It goes on in the second part and it says, Therefore he, that's Daniel, asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Verse 10, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So what's going on here is is Daniel went to uh, Ashpenaz, right, the the head guy, and asked if he would allow him not to defile himself by not eating the king's food and drinking the drink. And there's a little note here that in verse uh, 9, it said that God had given Daniel favor and compassion in the eyes of Ashpenaz. So, So in other words, he had this relationship. Ashpenaz, he liked Daniel. He was a good guy. So he listened to him, and he had a conversation. He didn't just say, no, get out of here. He actually thought about it. He actually you know, tri- received and listened to what Daniel was saying. But Ashpenaz replied and said, you know what, Daniel, I don't think I could do this. Because if the king saw Daniel and his friends, that they were worse in health, basically, than the other guys who are eating the king's food, you know what? I fear that my head would be on the chopping block. That's what he's saying. That I didn't follow the king's order because the king wants you guys to eat this. And if you're not, you know, looking real healthy like the other guys, then, oh, hey, you know, it's my head. You know what I like here? I like how Daniel approached in humbleness and respect, yeah? Do you see that here? Notice Daniel did not rally some protests with his guys against unfair practices of the king. He handled things in a submissive, humble, and respectful way. And through all that, God had given him grace and compassion, grace and favor in the eyes of the chief servant here. So they were able to actually have this discussion. But you'll see in a moment, Ashpenaz wasn't really, ah, I don't think so, Daniel, I don't think. Because look at verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuch had assigned over David, and so this is another guy under Ashpenaz, the steward, who was assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Verse 13, then let our appearance and the appearance of the youth who eat, eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So since his uh, uh, request to Ashpenaz was denied, you know what, Daniel didn't give up. And I like his heart here that he he may, I believe the Lord was leading him, but he didn't give up. So he approached the steward underneath Aspen and he said, look, you know what? Do this for 10 days. Just let's test this out. Just give us veggies and water to drink. And after 10 days, compare how, compare how we look with the other guys who are eating the king's food. And then, you know, you decide what you want to do according to the results. Now, I like this because think, just step back for a moment, think about this. Bottom line for Ashpenaz and the steward was for Daniel and his guys to stay healthy. Why? Because they didn't want to die, right? Maybe that's number one. We don't want to die, so you've got to keep eating and stay healthy. I'm afraid you, you guys aren't going to look healthy only eating that stuff. Bottom line, though, for Daniel and his friends was we don't want to defile ourselves and eat the king's food. So we cannot compromise. So it seems like, what do we do? What do we do? What can be done? You know, what, what do we do? Well, here's the solution. And I believe God gave Daniel a way for Aspenes, the steward, to live and for Daniel to still keep his stand and not, not defile himself by eating the food. I believe this was God's wisdom. I believe God gave wisdom to Daniel on how to handle this. And, and I say this because in James three seventeen it says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. When God gives us wisdom, it's wisdom. It's, it's pure. It's gentle. It's peaceable. And, and I like what's going on here. It's like, hey, let's work this together here. And I love that. So although Daniel drew the line and made an uncompromising stand, Daniel boldly brought a wise solution for everyone involved. And you know what? It opened an opportunity to see God work. That's the point here. That's what we're, we're seeing laid out in front of us. Daniel boldly brought a wise solution for everyone involved and opened an opportunity to see God work. Let's say, just, I'm just going to throw out this scenario. Just for example, let's say you face a situation where your boss wants you to lie about a product to get more sales but you cannot i'm a christian i live before god god's gonna see what i'm doing i cannot compromise here so rather than make some big emotional scene and quit and accuse them and bring them down you know what the best thing to do is humbly understand bottom line for the boss is he just wants to make more income for the company right Maybe he's pressured by his boss, and he's feeling this stress. So, respectfully, you offer up a solution. Hey, give me like ten weeks of honest selling, and see if God might bless, and see if you know we would. I would sell the same, if not more, than maybe the other guy, other sales guy. And I, I like that thought, and I bring that to you because that's a win-win, you know, win-win solution here. It gives opportunity for everyone an opportunity for everyone to see God work. Someone said, don't mandate, navigate. And sometimes that's what we need, the wisdom to navigate these sticky situations. But we can still make a godly stand and not compromise. And know this, and what we see here, a godly stand will come with a godly attitude. And in a bad situation, God will bring His solution and make an opportunity for us to see Him work. Well, let's go on to number three now. Our third heading is God's hand. So we see this uncompromising life of Daniel. We see Nebuchadnezzar's plan, Daniel's stand, and now God's hand. Daniel chapter 1, verse 14. So he listened to them, this is Stuart steward, in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen I like that, that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine and, th- and they were to drink, uh, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, how amazing is that? In that 10 days, in this test period where Daniel and his friends, they just ate the vegetables and water, they looked Better in appearance. You know what that means? They were healthier looking than the other guys who were feasting and gorging on the king's food. And notice it says here, fatter in the flesh. Now, what I was thinking, well, you know, today, I mean, uh, a lot of us, you know, are into our vegetarian diet and, and, you you know, we're watching what we eat and, you know, limiting our meats and all that. But usually you, you grow skinnier. These guys were fatter than the other guys who were gorging on the king's food, right? They gained weight. This was biologically impossible. What was it? God did a miracle here and blessed their uncompromising stand. This is glare, clearly God's hand here. That's our heading. I believe, God, um, I believe Daniel made his stand really it was all to glorify God. That's what I believe. I believe he, 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 it wasn't about him. It was about doing this for the Lord. Yeah, bringing this solution was so God would be glorified some way. He wasn't showing off his spirituality. He was willing to even die for this. Yeah? I, I could see that. But here's the thing. When you make your life about bringing glory to God, you know what? God doesn't disappoint And that's what we see here. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And we're going to see that in the next chapter. Verse 18. At the end of the time... The three years training, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. He interviewed them. And among all of them, look at this, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore, they stood. They served the king. The king picked these guys. The king said, wow, these guys are the ones I want to come and serve me to be part of my whole advisory committee here so these four ended up being head and shoulders above all the other candidates and after three years of training they were top of the class they graduated top of the class they 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 had they had all the percentage points and all that notice though notice how they got there verse 17 says what god gave them. Yeah, they're smart guys already. Yeah, they were picked for that. They were, they were easy to teach and they, they would you know learn things quickly and all of that. But to rise to that level, to get to that point, to, to be head and shoulders above all the other candidates, it was not their own natural ability, not the veggie diet. But God gave them this supernatural ability Serve the king greatly. And so that's why in verse 20 it says, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them. Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. These magicians and enchanters—they were advisors to the king. The the, the king liked some uh, like these seers and these guys going, "Hey, well, what's the spirit saying? You know, well, what's what's the future going to be, or what should I be doing? You know." And and so these guys would do their incantations and things like that and all that. But David and these guys were way ten times better. And the king saw their wisdom. Why? Because it was God, right? Working through them. It was God's wisdom. God gave them this ability and put this in this position. So much so, verse 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, in 539 BC, King Cyrus, who is the Medo-Persian king, came. And uh, he, uh, the Medo-Persians conquered Babylon. And King Cyrus was like the, the king there. That means Daniel was in this position for about 63 years. God kept him in that position from since he was a teenager all the way to an old man. But you can see God established Daniel. God empowered him. God used these youth in a mighty way. And we're going to be seeing that in this book. Amazing what these guys did as they surrendered and they totally were devoted to God. Henry Varley once told his friend D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, uh, these unforgettable words. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And I was thinking about that because D.L. Moody was a great evangelist here in America. But Daniel and his friends They were fully given over to God, weren't they? And God moved in them. Our last point this morning is this. God moved in great ways when they chose to commit to live the uncompromising life. God moved in great ways when they chose to commit to live the uncompromising life. How about you this morning? What is your goal? What is your sight set on? I'm talking about spiritually now. Yeah, we want to be like Jesus. We want to grow in the the Lord. We want to get deeper in our relationship with Him. But, But as we go through these situations and with what we've been talking about this morning, are you willing to set your sights high to live the uncompromising life? Will you be willing to do that? I'll tell you what, if you did that, God will move in great ways. When you commit yourself, God, I want to live like Daniel. I want to be like Daniel. I want to live the uncompromising life. It's possible, you guys. A mother asked her five year old daughter what she wanted to be when she grew up. She said, I want to be a nurse. That's good, praise the mother. But listen, never limit yourself. You can even be, you know, a doctor or a surgeon, a lawyer, even the president of the United States. You can be anything you want to be. And the daughter's like, anything? Anything at all? And the mother said, yes, anything. Well, the little five-year-old thought for a while and then came back to the mother with great excitement and passion and said, all right, Mom, I'll be a horse. I love that, though. That was setting her sights high. But how about you? What do you want to be when you grow up spiritually? Do you want to be totally sold out for Jesus? That no matter what situation, no matter what obstacle, no matter what challenge against the world, against society, against culture, against your peers, no matter what, that you're going to choose to not compromise? Will you do that today? I want to close with this story. I'm always inspired by this. Um, During the revival in Hawaii in the 1800s, the Queen Mother uh, Keopalani came to a place in her life where she realized biblically it was wrong to have two husbands. So going against society at that time, going against culture and tradition, she told she, she brought the two men in and she told them this, I have followed the custom of Hawaii in taking two husbands in the time of our dark hearts. I wish now to obey Christ and to walk in the right way. It is wrong to have two and I desire but one. Hoapii, uh, hoapili is my husband hereafter, my only husband. Amazing. This Ali'i, the queen mother, made a stand as God was moving in her life. In September 1823, uh, Kail Polani was very sick. She actually came home to Maui here and on Lahaina side. She was near death. And at that point, she wanted to be baptized. So she called for the missionary pastor, William Ellis, and they came explaining what baptism is. And, and then uh, she was baptized. Now, Kea Polani wanted to be baptized being called Harriet, which was What she chose, uh, it was one of the uh, missionary wives' names, but she chose it because she wanted to be be baptized and identified as a daughter of Jesus Christ. She changed her name because she wanted to be known as being a follower of Jesus. And one hour later, she went home to be the Lord. And you know what? Kaopalani became the first of many Ali'i to be baptized. She chose to live like Daniel did. How about you today? I want to do that too. Let's do that. As we look toward or this new year, still the new year, as we're beginning to get into our routines and, and our habits, as we're, we're sliding into uh, maybe doing our New Year's resolutions and everything, let's put this in there, that 2020 would be all about living the uncompromising life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word today. And what an example and inspiration we have with Daniel and the three other guys. And Lord, I love how they took a stand, Lord, even against culture, even against the society they were thrown into. Lord, I love how they put you first, God. God, may we do the same, Lord. May we live the uncompromising life. May we commit and devote ourselves to change our ways and not to compromise anymore. Lord, may we seek wisdom on how to handle situations from you, God. May you show us, Lord, what is that peaceable and gentle, God, way that you want us to, to make that stand and keep moving forward in our life with you. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who, who has been compromising and i pray lord that you would help them to no longer do that that today would be the day and as i pray over them lord that this would be the moment that they turn from their sins they turn to you and begin to walk the walk in an uncompromising fashion so lord continue to stir our hearts up Give us us this passion, Lord, to love you more and to live for you more, God. To set our sights high and to know that at the same time we commit to live an uncompromising life, you give us the ability to do that, Lord. You give us the ability to navigate through the situations. You give us the wisdom and the power to rise above those things that are pressing down upon us. And to be able to experience you work a miracle. And that's what I pray for, Lord, this week. I pray as we all make this commitment to live the uncompromising life, that we would see miracles happening. That we would see a miracle that you moving. And when we, even though no matter how hard it is, and we make this uncompromising choice to stand, Lord, that we would see it as an opportunity for you to work your miracle. Lord, our life is not about us anymore. It's about you, God. It's about you. So, Lord, we live for you and nothing else, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all start.